It's time once again for the program that has no music, no jingles, no commercials, um, no direction, no agenda, and of course, no talent. In the United Kingdom, I'm Adam Curry. I'm John C. Dvorak up here in Northern California. Hey, John, how you doing today? Good. It's a nice sunny day. Yeah, we had a beautiful we had a beautiful day here as well in uh, in the UK. So nice, in fact, that I went flying. Ah, where'd you go? Um, I went down uh, to the south coast, which would be um, towards the Isle of Wight, and then uh, hung a left, basically eastwards, and went all along the coastline up to Lyd. Are you familiar with Lyd? No. Uh, okay, so Lyd is. Uh, just uh i don't know it's um it's you know that that piece that sticks out on the on the right hand side of the island uh it's on the south coast there but what's really nice there's this program this bbc show called coast uh i don't know if, i don't know if you can get that over there on uh, bbc america but essentially no. it's a series about the coastline of the uk which of course it being an island is there's a lot of coastline and um it consists of it's like almost like a documentary, but there's a lot of aerial photography, really, really beautifully done. And the, I have to say, the coast of the UK is spectacular. If you just fly along, you know, like at uh, a thousand or fifteen hundred feet, it's just it changes every every ten twenty miles. It's just beautiful. So, can you, uh, can you take photos out of your plane? Yeah, of course. I, I, I took a well, I, I did it with my cell phone camera, so you know. Oh, it kind of sucks ass. <laughs> and and by the way, when I'm by myself, it's, uh, it's, it's there's a lot going on. So you know, to really yeah, well, you can take me up for a ride. I'll take pictures. <laughs> you get your ass over here. We'll take some pictures. Absolutely. It'll be fun. It'll be raining <laughs> when you get here. Yeah, probably. So nice there in California. You were in Vegas, John. Yeah, I went to Lost Wages, Nevada. And uh, yeah, did you lose any? No, actually, I, I won. I, I only budget. Uh, I know I'm. I'm not. I, I don't like to gamble. I think it's just a, it's stupid. I'm not a gambler but, either. But I do, you know, play video poker machines because I I know that there are certain machines. If you know, if you look at all the odds, it's the funniest thing. Video poker machines have a variety of odds for the exact same game from machine to machine to machine. And I don't know, you know, I mean, I guess, and nobody ever looks at these odds because there are some machines that essentially just take your money. And there are <laughs> it's other published, right? Can, it's, it says it right there. You will lose at least four percent on every every dime you put well, in. That's what the, that, that's casino wide. Uh-huh. But there are some machines that are pretty close to break even on video poker and uh if you know what to look for and, and it's the you know the because they and the odds are right on the screen and uh, people just ignore it but you don't have to, anyway, go to, to go to vegas for that you could go to your local 7-eleven and play video poker can't you yeah you could okay it's just a game i like because i had this uh, there's this computer program called uh, years ago called video poker tutor <laughs> and uh what did that run on the commodore 64 or something Close to it, but anyway, the the thing would just keep beating you down until you figured out how to, you know, what the strategy was. Because the video poker is not poker; uh, it's a, you know, it's a different game altogether. And there are and there's strategies involved with what you you hold and what you get rid of if you want to approach this break-even point. Ah. And then if you get lucky, you can, you know, walk away with some money. And I I tend to always walk away with some money, although I, I can't say I've made a fortune. I was going to say total earnings. Five bucks. Oh, right on. No, I, I, you know, <laughs> I've I've been to Vegas quite a bit. I'm not a gambler. I just I really don't care. It just doesn't interest me at all. Well, there's a lot of interesting games. I know it doesn't interest me to any extent, but I mean, I, I a few years, maybe 15 years ago, I used to play a lot of craps. 
Hmm. And craps is an interesting game because it, it, again, if you play it right, you're at a break, you can pretty much break even at it, and you can maybe even make out on the deal in some casinos where they give you a lot of uh, free cognac, you know, to try to make it so you, <laughs> you just they try to get your drinking so you screw up. Well, they also in in, any, in Vegas they have they have tons of um, uh, of courses you can take. I did a couple documentaries in ninety. I'm going to say 91 or 92 in Las Vegas. I did one. Uh, no, I did three. Di- they're all on YouTube, by the way. If you just search Adam Curry, you'll find them. One is about uh, the pawn shops. Uh, one is about uh, uh, craps and roulette. So they actually, you know, uh, I went to one of those courses where they teach you how to play. And the third one was the Las Vegas Bike Patrol. I, I went along and, uh, and rode with the Bike Patrol for a day, which was pretty interesting. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you should take a look at those. I mean, they're they're Dutch. But I'll blog them. Yeah, blog. There you go, baby. You can look at Adam's really, really big hair. So anyway, the uh, yeah, they have a lot of courses, in that, and they're actually pretty good. They try to teach you how to do things right, but they just assume that nobody really cares. Right. And I think it's also some rationale when people, when the gaming licenses come up, they say, no, we try to teach the public the exact, you know, aspects of the, all the aspects of the game that will help them uh, win. But it's, it's all to their benefit. You know, the, the, I found the course really good. They really gave you a lot of tips and tricks, and, you, you know, really they try to help you win knowing full well that the odds are that just you stacked win. against you. Yeah, you can't win. So I don't know if it has anything to do with a gaming license or anything. I think they really just want to help you to get you to go to the table, spend money. Yes, but any, but the one thing I found interesting about craps is, and like all the other games in the casino, it's a social game where people win and lose as a group. Yeah, true. And, and it's a, and it's a really a different game because of that, and it's actually kind of interesting. Um, but, you know, again, it's a t- when you look at it, you know, even any of these things, even if you can, you know, make a little money, uh, it's a time killer. I mean, it takes you hours to, you know, get anywhere <laughs> to, unless you're throwing massive amounts of money down. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, not for me. Not for me. All right, so you're there for CES. I, I heard a couple of your uh, reports uh, on Tech 5 uh, with the flat flat panel, LCD screens. I heard those reports. What else, what else did you do at CES? Just kind of roam around and... You know, I didn't see that. I mean, CES to me has always been a show years ago when they had Comdex and computer guys would go there. That was different. CES I mean, was Com- a- Comdex was it was a whole different vibe, wasn't it? It wasn't that different, but it was slightly different because there there wasn't as much junk. <laughs> um, CES has a lot of junk, a lot of weird stuff that is just like, what is the, what are these people doing here? I mean, things for little... Uh, these little mom and pop stores you find in urban areas where you, you know, turn a corner and there's an Indian guy running this place and he sells everything from toaster repair to skins for the cell phone to uh, cigarettes, bunch of, you know, uh, lottery tickets, uh, you name it. Does that really yeah, pay you- for those guys to buy a booth at CES for, for basically stuff that you buy in the mall? I don't know. They're there. Hmm. And, and do they do they do the same thing that they do? This is, by the way, this is something I, I wanted to mention. It, there is a new. Um, it, it, it seems like a, a ship. You know, you know these stalls in the mall. They're they're everywhere. They're here in the UK, but in the states, you know, there's the little carts that kind of sit in the middle of the walkway, right? And they sell everything from covers for your cell phone to you know uh, embroidered hats, exactly that ones. kind of stuff. But it, what has happened? I've noticed 
is that when you now are walking through the mall, the uh, the vendors now come up to you and they say, "Excuse me, sir, could I ask you a question?" And you know, and and it's usually women who uh, who, uh, who who are doing this, and they solicit you, and it's really pissing me off. It's really ruining my mall experience. Have you noticed that this is how you know? Maybe you don't go to malls, but it really I do go to irks malls. Me. I don't go to malls. Obviously, I don't go as much as you do, but uh, I go to malls. I have seen these things. I usually go to them when I travel. I have never seen that in an American mall. What you're describing? Oh, I've. I've been in two malls on my my most recent trips, and it's it's like a new thing. They used to just have Where? this cute little. Um, in August, I went to the uh, Rose Roosevelt Field Mall. I think is what it's called. It's a huge, massive mega mall in. Uh, Where? That's upstate New York. Okay. I'm sorry. Not well. Yeah, upstate. Not upstate, but kind of upstate. Um, and then the uh, what's the one in San Francisco uh, uh, on Market? On market, yeah, yeah. There's uh, oh, that one where Nordstrom's is, um, the Galleria or whatever. Yeah, it's that, yeah, that's it. The Galleria, I think, is what it's called. Same thing, and, and you're just walking along, looking at the shops, left or right, and then the vendors like, "Excuse me, sir, can I ask you a question?" And it's like, "No, fuck off," because it, I've said yes, of course, once, and then you know they drag you into this demonstration of some stupid. Pro- they just it's like you know trying to sell you something, but it's offensive. I don't to think me. that I don't think that's allowed. Well, they're doing it, man. I, I think it's a, I think it's a plague, and I think it's taken over. And, and I mean, you might as well just have a bunch of guys in front of all the stores, you know, uh, like they do on uh, Columbus Avenue in the old days. Right, the, the camera shops in San Francisco. <laughs> hey, buddy, come on over. Well, I don't like it. I will not frequent yeah, will. places that allow that behavior. Mm. Mm. Anyway, I, yeah, I haven't seen it, but I, I can understand why it would be annoying. But yeah, there's these carts. I think the other people, these carts are interesting. They become a phenomenon. All the malls have them. Obviously, those are leased spaces. Yeah. And uh, I guess they button up the cart at night. And uh, it's, it's kind of just a cheap, usually a cheap operation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and Patricia, she loves those guys because she'll be walking through the mall and you know, she'll go to like the sunglasses uh, cart and she now knows... She knows these uh, uh, these vendors, and she knows that if you want the fake Gucci sunglasses, you got to, like, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and then out comes the special little draw that you can take a look at. So they're, 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 they're selling all kinds of contraband and shit goods You're as well. You're kidding me. No, man. Absolutely. Patricia loves that. She well, loves fake to, sunglasses. Take her to New York and take her down to Canal Street. Oh, no. Well, right. she, uh, dude. Of course, Canal Street has changed now because you, um, you know, they really crack down on all the fake handbags and everything. And so now, you, what they'll do is they'll come up to you and say, "Hey, you know, you see this? Well, uh, they got something better." Basically, you follow. The, it's kind of creepy because you follow them into yeah, like, you know, down actually, an alleyway, turn left, down three stairs, and then they've got all the great stuff. And I am convinced, by the way, one hundred percent, that these are actual products. These are not knockoffs. These are the real deal. They're just, you know, they're, they're, they're abnormalities or, or just pumped out a different door of the factory. I think it's exactly the same stuff as the, as the $5,000 items. Well, yeah, I know we've talked about this before. Did we really? I think that I think some of the items are indeed the same thing. I know you get pretty much this, the, the the kind of the overproduction stuff when you're in Korea. Mm-hmm. There's a street in Korea that sells all kinds of stuff, and it's and you look at it and you cannot see 
you can't know, you see can the difference. Yeah, maybe, can't see the difference. I mean, maybe a little bit. There's a stitching that's off or something. But you know, Patricia has made quite a study of this because she really hates paying a lot of. She she used to be married to a guy who was in uh, clothing and all kinds of other stuff like that. And she says, you know, it costs shit. You know, she 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 says, you know, these you see a. A sweater, a Jack Wills or whatever, or Eddie Bauer, and it's, you know, $500. She says it costs five fucking dollars to make. She just can't uh, bring herself to pay, you know, to overpay for products like that. So she loves getting knockoffs, and she's also convinced that they are, in fact, the real deal. Maybe just a small irregularity, but undetectable. It's all about how you wear it, you know? Yeah, no, I think a lot of the fake stuff. I, I, I uh, uh, have a whole bunch of... Uh, of uh, knockoff watches because during the heyday of Canal Street, oh, when yeah. I was working, I'm still working at PC Magazine, but I used to go to the New York a lot, and so I collected a huge. I have a huge collection of some pretty cool ones. But what, what the most fascinating watch I collected, which I still use, um, they there was a, a period of time where they were, they were making perfect Movados. They were all, generally speaking the knockoff guys, and these obviously were not real Movados because they were too thick. Yeah, but the uh, they would put a second hand. Yeah, <laughs> on the watch, which kind of like blows the idea. Or, or you'd have you know a, a fine, uh, uh, fine Swiss watch, and you could see this sweeping uh, quartz-driven second hand. Yeah, you know, it's like uh huh. <laughs> yeah, click, click, click. But it, but anyway, somebody did a, a Movado. They did a series of Movados without the sweep second hand. They looked just like Movados. They had the right hands and everything else. They're perfect. But then one one day I went there and there was a silver on silver one, hmm. which was a silver case, silver background, and silver hands with the Movado logo, and it looked like a Movado. But the Movados typically are gold and black, right? Not silver, silver, and silver. And so I bought that thing, and it look and it's just and and Movados never made this watch that looks like this. They just haven't done it, but it, they should because it's really it's gorgeous. Yeah. So, so you wear so you, I I would wear that watch typically even though I don't wear a tuxedo all the time but it's a great tuxedo watch and it would be and it would always catch somebody's eye. Do, do like, you do you wear different watches? I mean I have uh, I have probably uh, I must have a collection of about twenty different watches, but I've, I I keep wearing the same one. I just, I, I don't like a, a different uh, thing around my wrist. I like the comfort of the one that I'm used to. You really change around a lot. I don't wear. I actually, I stopped wearing watches maybe uh, ten years ago, and I just used the cell phone like everybody else for the time. But uh, yeah, I, I would. I, I would wear different watches. I had. Uh, I would take some um, Rolexes, for example, and you, you know, the fake Rolexes, especially the good ones with the expensive sweep secondhand, mm. and you you match them up with some. Um, you, if you're ever in Arizona or someplace, you match them up with some of these Indian bands. And you get some pretty good-looking matches, and you get a pretty cool watch that people, you know, wonder where you got it. Yeah, well, I've worn the same watch basically for 20 years. I Is that the watch it. that you did, the one, the cloth band that you're wearing with the uh, Velcro, that one? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. That's the one. That's the one, John. <laughs> no, Patricia gave me a gold Rolex uh, about a year after we had been together, uh, which, of course, was a complete incentive for me to keep her around. And... Uh, and 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 I've, I haven't taken it off. I mean, in, in fact, it's really dirty. <laughs> it should get clean. It, it really should get, get it clean. clean. It's 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 completely black on the on the inside of the band. And of course, you know, the real Rolexes don't actually keep time very well. You know that, right? Yeah, that that's the irony of it, I guess. Yeah, it is. So, what else happened but, in Vegas? Uh, or does that stay to, in? Does that stay in Vegas as usual? 
stayed at the MGM Grand, and I. By the way, anyone going to Vegas when you're at these new hotels, which are all they ha- they have a uh, centrally located uh, elevator shaft, typically in the middle of a star configuration. You uh, when you check in, always say, "Look, I want a room near the elevators." Hmm. Because you won't get a room you, you next to the. Ne- you won't be able to find the elevators if you don't ask for a room near it. No, you will find them because there's really it's just like one long aisle that's a mile long toward the elevator shaft, which is in the middle. So it's a spoken hub kind of layout typically with these hotels. Mm. And the MGM Grand is the worst because it's a, one of the biggest hotels in the world. And you can get a room. It takes you five minutes to walk <laughs> to the elevators. <laughs> So you get the old, you know, you walk to the elevator, you go down, oh, I forgot my, you know, something. You got to go back up, and it's a mile-long walk to the room, and then a mile-long walk back. I forgot the hooker the I left in the room. Shit, now I got to go back. So, I mean, it's, uh, so always ask for a room near the elevator shaft, and, you know, they'll give you a room close in, and it really makes a huge difference, because you can just, you know, you step out of the room, you take five steps, you go to the elevator shaft, and you're down. You're done, right. Um, but anyway, so I stayed there, and it's not a hotel I particularly like, but it's okay. And they have a lot of nice restaurants. They they turn their restaurants over, but they have now Joel Rubichon has a restaurant in there. Uh, not two familiar. Of them actually. Not familiar with Joel. Oh yeah, he's one of the maybe the greatest chef in France. I mean, there's three great uh, uh, chefs. There's the uh, Rubichon and, and Savoie and uh, uh, Alain Ducasse, who also has a place in New York. And uh, they all three of them now have restaurants in Las Vegas, uh, Ducasse's and Rubichon's being the best of the two. And there's a, uh, but you can't get in. You know, it's just impossible. Mm. Uh, so I didn't get to eat there. So I was very disappointed. Oh, that's a shame. Speaking of, of French, just for a second, uh, I think uh, I think I made a, a comment about the French on the last show. Yeah, and I uh, got a about them being lazy. I think. Which, by the way, a lot of people emailed me said you're being racist, and I, I think I have to disagree. How's that racist? I, exactly. It, people are very confused about what racist is, particularly in the UK, by the way. Uh, Mike Panero, uh, who's in the UK, says, I work for a French firm in a factory. Uh, over here, we get one hour for lunch, which for a factory is generous. Our French counterparts, who also work in a factory, get one and a half hours. They pop along to one of the many places to eat nearby, quaff a few glasses of vino with their meal, 35-hour work week, all of August off, um, no Yorkshire tea, no real beer, and now they can't smoke inside. <laughs> so he's complaining about what? Well, he, I think what he's saying is that it's true. The, the French are just, they got it easy, man. As cult- well, culturally, know, they're they, lazy. They just, well, I don't know if it's laziness or smart. Dude, I mean, how I about Sar- Sarkozy? How about him dating Carla Bruni? I'm telling you, that's what I said. Smart. This, uh, but uh, you know, this is this is qu- talk this about is just leveraging amazing. your position in a public office, dude. He is so okay. he is tapping that ass, and it's a good. She was what was he, she was with, didn't she have a child with Mick Jagger? I mean, this is like a this is like a serious babe that's been passed around. <laughs> she must have some some particular skill that we're unfamiliar with. Oh yeah, uh, I can only imagine. But whatever the case, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not going to accuse the French. I mean, the French were, have a different way of working. But the one, <laughs> yeah, thing <for> less. Sure, <laughs> well, maybe That's quite Probably different. True. Less. Does it really work? Is that less is how, how is it? we never hear about France? Is the economy working? I mean, the only thing we hear about less is, is more. Less is more. They're, no, they're the striking and fighting. Is, 
Their economy is always in the tank. Are you kidding me? Okay. Well, I'm not. No, I'm just asking. I, I really have no idea. I mean, you, you just don't really hear about it. You I think if you went to Google right now and typed in Fr France and recession, it would come up with a million hits. Okay, let me try. France? In Google News or regular Google? Just regular Google. Okay, let's see. Because I think they're perpetually in a recession. Well, there's something to be said for that as well, I guess. When you're on the floor, you does not, does not fall to... Here, France escapes recession. Top hit from the BBC News. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, they achieved a slight growth. Hold on, let me get this. This is the top hit on the new Google indexing system, by the way, which uh, indexes... Oh, okay, this is... Uh, May 20th, 2003. Hey, that new algorithm yeah. is really working. <laughs> it works great. The French economy managed to grow slightly by 0.3% in the first three months of the year. That's uh, May 2003. 2003, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's, that's the one note of good news for the French economy right there, you know, four years ago, five years ago. There's, there's a, let me see if there's something under news. That might be, uh, let's see. Here comes the earnings recession. Uh, nothing about France. I'm telling you, you just don't read a lot about it. I don't know. Yeah, they don't care either. You know, the thing is, they don't listen to us. Uh, you can be assured we have, like, you know, the, even with the, like, I do the Twit thing with Leo, and we have a big audience, and I can solicit anything I want around the world. And there'll be some two or three guys will chime in. You know, I say, I need to know the best restaurant in Hamburg, and I'll get six emails from various German guys who live in Hamburg. Right, of course. You can do anything you want about France, and there's no French listening. No, that's not true because um, there's at least I have at least two French listeners who who, who e <laughs> gotta, email consistently on your on your daily source code. Yeah, oh yeah, and there's uh, there's You've also been doing it for ten years. It's, a, <laughs> it's the same two guys, so <laughs> it's all right. You know, I, I dig it. I like it. I, I look. Uh, I actually really like the French. Uh, I have no problem with them. I'm I'm just always amazed at you know <laughs> at how they make the shit work over there. They do it by uh, having long lunches. Yeah, I guess. Although you know they're trying to kill off the long lunch in France. Like, I I think the French resist pretty well. Well, this is what Sarkozy is all about, right? He, didn't he say to the nation, "Look, we, we've got to we got to work harder. We got to do more if we want to keep in stride." Isn't that more or less his whole message? Yeah, that's what he says. But the, the talk is cheap, and then he runs off with the bimbo. <laughs> she's I mean, not a on. bimbo, John. She, it's, I think she's she's got she's got. You're right. She's got talent. She she's got real talent. So anyway, so Sarkozy's like uh, yeah, big talker. Hmm. But just imagine, you know, that uh, they seem to be making a minor deal. Oh, oh, that's what it was. That's what I read. His ex-wife has published a book. I think that came out uh, yesterday. And, uh, and she, of course, you know, rakes him over the coals. For what? Being a womanizer. <laughs> Basically oh. being French. <laughs> yeah. All right. He's more French than the French. Yeah. He's, like, he's actually a Hungarian or something, isn't he? Uh, could be. Sarkozy. Yeah, sounds right. Uh, oh, yeah. Tell me about the, the pinball museum. Yeah, we went to the pinball museum. Uh, so I'm coming into Vegas, and I'm uh, reading the South. I'm coming in on Southwest, and right. I'm reading the um, magazine in there, and the... Um, 
the, the flight was light, which is interesting. And the uh, of course, so there's no middle seats, and so a big f- fat person sits in the middle. It always cracks me up. Um, <laughs> one time well. I was on a not, not to go a diversion here about fat people, but I'm a you know I'm not fat, but I'm a big guy, and. Um, I saw one day I was on one of these flights where you pick your own seat, and I saw a big fat guy sitting by the window, and the aisle seat was there. And so I decided to sit there and then, you know, kind of spread my shoulders and try to feel, spread out and look as big as I could, trying to dissuade anyone from sitting between two big guys. Exactly. Please stay away. So get the uh, message. I thought that that the, the idea was good, and I swear to God. Probably the fattest woman I've ever seen on an airplane. <laughs> hey, there's my people. My peeps are here. I got to go sit in between them. <laughs> That's the only logic. Because she pops herself down between the both of us. And he's slammed up against the window. His face is kind of against the thing, smushed up against it. I'm like halfway in the aisle. The people keep banging in against oh, I'm walking yeah. by because we can barely sit there. And, and, she, and of course, and, she took both armrests, right? <laughs> she, yeah, but not with her arms. <laughs> oh God, I got a visual. All right. Anyway, so this is always risky. So anyway, so we went down. So I'm reading the magazine. It talks about the uh, uh, this museum, this pinball museum. On now uh, the address is three 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 zero three thirty three thirty. East Tropicana for anybody in Vegas who wants to go check it out, uh, and it's a, this guy's been collecting pinball machines for I guess his whole life, and he's got eight hundred of them in his collection. Two hundred of them are in the pinball museum at any given time, and they're all you can play them all hmm. at the original twenty-five cent price for five balls or whatever. And um, he even has a one-off of a really wild machine that they proto- that Bali prototyped two of, and only one ever worked, and he has it. It's worth about a hundred thousand bucks, he, he thinks. And um, it's a wild machine. It's like dimensional. It's got all kinds of playing fields. It's ridiculous. He's got anyway. He's got all these machines, and there's a lot of classics from the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, and nineties. And um, and all the money that he makes at the place. After he pays for his overhead, goes to charity. He really? gives all his money away. He's retired, and uh, he just wants to, you know, but he so he can't afford to advertise anything. So he's getting a lot of publicity. But the place usually has he's had about ten or twenty people in there playing away like crazy. It's a it's a great place if you like pinball machines. Tim Arnold, that's his name, right? Tim Arnold. Yeah, Tim Arnold. Yeah, I'm looking at the website, which is uh, pinballmuseum.org. That's pretty cool. Right, pinballmuseum.org, and. Um, that's you know, pretty he's, cool. And he, and he, so we interviewed him for Cranky Geeks, and he, uh, you know, he's a, a he's a pinball nut. And he said he, he had a lot of complaints. He said, like, you know, people, you know, there's only one pinball maker left because nobody puts pinball machines in gas stations or anyplace else anymore because everything's owned by chains, and they won't, you know, they don't like pinball because of its seedy history. And they don't want loitering. Then they don't want anyone loitering, right. Uh-huh. There you go. Uh-huh. And... Uh, so he, you know, he has a real interesting lament. I, that, that's really my, quite sad because it, certainly when I was a kid, uh, both in the States and, uh, and in Europe as well, you know, it, it was quite the thing. You know, you, you'd go down to the, to the drugstore or whatever. And, uh, you know, I think that I was kind of in between the pinball and uh, Pac-Man. You know, it's kind yeah. of in, in, that's when it kind of went to, to video games. But you're right. You don't see him anymore because uh, yeah, they don't want loitering. But it, that, it was well, kind of where you grew up and where you you, know, you got your first uh, smoke. 
No, I mean, no, that's how you got started. So, <laughs> but it, they used to have them in bowling alleys and every place else. I mean, then you'd play them. They were always fun, you know. It was um, anyway. So, so he says the problem now is maintaining them because um, yeah, the parts nobody makes the parts, so you have to machine the parts, or you have to scavenge things from other, you know, other systems. And he's buying, buying apparently uh, motors from old blenders seems to work in certain machines for huh. something, huh. and. Um, so anyway, but it's a labor of love, and I you know recommend anyone that go, passes through Las Vegas. It's one of the more interesting places in the country to visit. Oh, check this just out. A, zero, just one, z- zero one zero eight zero eight. John C. Dvorak's CrankyGeeks.com takes a time out from C- 2000 CES show in Las Vegas to visit the Pinball Hall of Fame. It's episode number 98. Huh. You're on their news page, dude. Fantastic. Cross promotion is the name of the game. <laughs> and even better than managers. that, it's, it says on the 1st of January, Spirit Magazine, which is what you read, Southwest Airlines, article about the Las Vegas Pinball Hall of Fame. Article titled, Sure Play to Mean Pinball. God, the net is yeah. cool. So, yeah, you can find that's, what, that's why we like it. That internet thing anyway. is, for, that, that rocks. <laughs> God, that Anyway, so... So anyway, anyone out there who's visited Vegas, you know, get off the beaten path, get a car, get a cab, or go out to, you know, 3330 uh, East Tropicana and uh, check it out. Now, I, on the way back, I, I took a, uh, I came back on a private airplane. And, uh, oh, what, who, Hurst? Yeah, Hurst. Cool. What was he flying? And, what kind of plane? Well, it's the, you know, he's part of, you know, he's, it's like a, it's like a, corporate, like a NetJets thing. Yeah, it's like, this one was a Hawker 800. Oh, it's a nice plane, man. That is a nice plane. Although, you know, be- I've been in the beach jets, and the beach jets are really nice. Even though they're small, they are. Yeah. They, there's just the features inside the plane are just really cool. Well, the Hawker is, uh, you can stand up straight in the Hawker, can't you? Yeah, you can get pretty. I, yeah, no, it bumps my head. I think it's under oh. six foot. Mm, it's not oh. like a Challenger or anything where you can so wander around. Yeah, it's the 800, right, right. Yeah, the Challenger, that's, that's an amazing. Or the... Uh, I've been in a G5. God. Yeah, the G5 is the class act. Although I but don't. Anyways. Although I'd, I'd rather, honestly, just all things being equal, I'd rather have a uh, a Challenger than a than a G5. Well, really you know, you're on your way, Adam. You can afford one. Uh, it's the parking. But most pe- most of these, uh, yeah. But see, most of these people don't realize, you know, these private jets are mostly now all shared. Yeah. I mean, there's a few guys left that have their own. I mean, the Google boys have a couple of jets that are dedicated to them. And, yeah, some of the you know, e- Paul, eBay and PayPal guys uh, have jets too. Right. Pa- uh, Paul Allen's got a jet, seven fifty seven. Ray Lane has a G five. Uh, who? Ray Lane. So does he? Mm-hmm. He's he's Let's got go a G five and uh, I I rode with him I I went we took his G five when they launched the Tesla uh, that electric uh, sports car hey they had it okay they changed the topic they had a Tesla at the show that I I got to look at one up close and personal mm-hmm. it's a little Lotus it's with a, Lotus. a battery yeah, yeah. <laughs> with with a fucking D cell <laughs> uh, no uh, this is what's so funny because. So it was me, it was Ron uh, and Marta, Ron's wife, and, and Ray, and uh, we took his G5 down to, uh, to L.A. Uh, and uh, what was really funny, on the landing, because uh, you know, I was sitting in the, ju- I went up sat with the pilots on the jump seat. Uh, of course, you know, I wanted, that, that was cool, you know, and sit in the cockpit. And they were in the back drinking. And when they landed, uh, one of the uh, brakes jammed. 
So they landed actually with, I think, the, the, the right or maybe even both rear brakes uh, essentially engaged. So the nose yeah. wheel slammed down. I mean, it, it was I was strapped in with, you know, a five point harness and I was thrown. I could you know the whole chair really moved forward. Uh, that's how how heavy it was. And Ray Lane, who was in the back, of course, you know, Mr. Big VC. Oh, I'm not going to buckle my seatbelt. He <laughs> he flew out of his seat across the seat into Marta's lap on this on this landing. Well, that's a oh, yeah, it, it was very <laughs> fucked up. And but you know, for pilots, it's like be, uh, that was that's like really embarrassing. You know, when yeah, you, I guess when when, uh, when you know when you've got a a pilot as a guest on board, and you know, of course, you're jet jockey, so you're you're showing off, right? And you really fuck it up. Anyway, so um, the launch was at um, at the airport. It was um, I think it was I think it was Burbank. Um. And so they had uh, uh, rented out a, a hangar, and essentially they had a little circuit, and then, you know, so you in the middle of the hangar was the party, and then they had a circuit around this party and that went outside and then back into the hangar. So it was, it was kind of cool, you know? It was like, a, like your own matchbox set or, or Hot Wheels that you'd set up only really big. Um, and uh, you could buy one right then and there, and they had a big screen up, and it would show, you know, the names of people who had pre-ordered one. So, of course, you know, you look at Larry, Sergey, and then, oh, there's a popped Ray Lane. And you, to date, no one has still uh, has, has received one. This is 2006. They, yeah. they, they can't deliver these fucking things. <laughs> well, you know, when I see these kinds of promotions and i see all the silicon valley guys for some un- oh actually they all get on the same bandwagon it's the way it is down there because it's like something's either cool about it you know it's electric and it's really fast and you know there's all these different kinds of things that are, make it so great yeah but it's still and a lotus fact- with a d-cell yeah look at that so i'm looking because i i think i saw one on the road like a couple of years ago that was being test driven down in southern california and i couldn't figure it out but all i do remember the logo yeah. so when i saw the logo later i said oh i, I saw one of these these things these teslas a t anyway so i uh, was looking at this thing it's, it's really cramped inside uh in fact somebody was telling me that one of their friends who's six six bought one and there's no way he's ever no gonna way, get in it no way no and uh but everybody in the valley's on the waiting list and it's a big deal to have you know to be on the waiting list for this thing and i'm thinking these guys have got way too much money they can just throw it around it's a, at a what i consider to be a gimmick vehicle and yeah it'd be cool if it works and if they ever ship it uh for a while until somebody gets rammed by someone else um, or the car flips. I mean, I, I just the whole thing is just uh, get a Lexus for God's sake. So, so it is. It is indeed. Um, it is a Lotus body. I mean, it, it literally. You know, I, I don't know if they take the emblem off, but it's a Lotus body, and uh, and it is fast. I think it does zero to sixty in under four seconds. It's just an amazing torque that it has. Uh, yeah. But the problem. Motor. But the problem they're having is the battery. And I heard. Um, I'm sure you've heard of or seen the movie uh, Who Killed the Electric Car? Uh, n- you know, I don't know if I have. Maybe. Ah, well, look, look it up on, on Google Video. I'm sure, they, I'm sure someone's illegally uploaded it. Thank goodness. Um, but it's about that uh, there was an electric car that they handed out to celebrities in, uh, in the, I want to say, 80s, 90s, something like that. You're Do you talking about that? that General Motors car, yeah, the yeah, Evo? The, yeah, that's the one, exactly. And uh, but that no one, which actually, is a cool looking car, by the way. Yeah, but no one was allowed to buy it. You couldn't actually no, buy they, the car, and then they took them all right, back. They destroyed them all. Yeah, right. they they took them all back. Now, what I've understood is that I guess GM or some 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 company owns 
a patent to the battery technology that is necessary that actually would make this all work. Um, and that, you know, they, for obvious reasons, have purposely not uh, allowed anyone to do anything with that patent. But that that's really the problem. Everyone's struggling trying to, to work around this patent to come up with a better battery technology. Do you know anything about this? It sounds like a crock. I don't know. I mean, batteries. I mean, General Motors is going to bring out another electric car. It's my understanding. They uh, put all this. I mean, they're, they're, I think there's too much emphasis on the hydrogen cars, for example, and I think that, that that's the real issue. And what's and if they're going to be promoting all these other sort of alternative systems, there's no reason for them to like kill the electric car for some unknown reason. Well, I mean, not now. Car, no, no, I think now, 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 now people are interested. There's a market for it, and we know everyone knows they have to change. You know, but twenty ten, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago they had every reason to not want people to get into electric and i think that you know now they will get into it and, and what do you mean uh, about the hydrogen you don't think that's gonna that works or is no it's just a joke <laughs> okay well, you know somebody should talk to you know i, I got to l- read the riot act by some guys from i don't know if it was airco or one of these gas companies you know these companies that sell gas mm-hmm you know, in canisters, and they said this: you can't get enough energy out of hydrogen to make it worthwhile, and you'd have to compress so much of it. Right now, they got the tanks up to, and I kept up with this, by the way. I go to the General Motors; they have sessions all over the country where you, they have all these hydrogen cars. I've driven a bunch of them, and besides the fact that they make a screeching sound when you accelerate, they drive you crazy. Mm. But anyway, I mean, because of the, the 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 sound of the hydrogen going through the membrane, the technologies from this from the '60s or earlier because that membrane is they can't seem to make a breakthrough on that they can't get enough energy out of the gas because the gas is low energy actually believe it or not and so you have to compress a ton of it there now they've gotten the tanks to get last time i looked they had the tanks so there were ten thousand pounds per square inch tanks which i can't imagine one of those things breaking open um and they still can't get the things to go more than 300 miles or so. And they know that there's a there's a magic number. I forgot. I think it's 350 or there's some number. They And I think there's the same problem with the electric car. The car manufacturers, and, and by the way, the Tesla has this problem. The car manufacturers have a magic number. If the car cannot go this far on one tank, then it's not commercially viable because people won't put up with it. Oh, okay, and there's right. a minimum number of miles you can go, and they can't get to that mileage with the hydrogen car. And even if they did, the car is going to be extremely expensive because that entire mechanism that they use to, to propel the car is just expensive. But everybody's on this bandwagon. So I've driven the Hondas. I've driven the uh, – I've been in the Honda Hydrogen. Uh, Toyota's got one. I've been in that. I've been in the Fords, General Motors. Everybody's got one. And um, – there's a couple of trucks, and they're, you know, I think there's a bus or two out there, and I've, I haven't driven the bus, but I've driven these things around, and they're, they have a funny kind of a performance curve. I don't think they're, I don't think they have any appeal. There's a couple of people sent me a link earlier this week to uh, uh, something called the Air Car, which looks a little bit like a like a an even cheaper looking smart car. Uh, more plastic, <laughs> more plastic looking. And by the way, I love smart. I love smart cars. You uh, own one, but it has com- a compressed air engine, so it's a hybrid. So it uses oh, yeah. you know uh, fossil fuel to kind of like an electric hybrid, but they compress air and then use that. <laughs> it's interesting. Hey, that car blows. <laughs> what a slogan! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So, you know, the problem, you know, if you talk to these guys who are honest about it, and the people don't realize that gasoline, the reason gasoline, there's gasoline cars out there, and why they're so popular, is gasoline per pound has more energy in it, just built into the molecular structure, than any other substance we can come up with. And so it's a it's a very it's already a kind of a compressed form of energy, hmm. and that's why gasoline cars you know are what they are. Right. Well. So anyway, so I'm obviously you know sound like an old fuddy duddy here, but uh, you know, and I do like V8s. What can I say? <laughs> I remember I've, I've back, given up caring about cars. I just don't give a shit anymore. Nah, well you're in England. Why would you? So. Right. Um, well, well, this no, is the like, land of motoring, mind you, the land, yeah. the land of Top Gear. I mean, I, I really enjoy watching Top Gear, but, you know, so I'll, I'll, I'll see them do a review of, like, the new Audi. I've always been kind of an Audi guy. Um, and, you know, that new um, R8 or whatever it is, um, sp- sports car. I guess yeah, it, that it, thing's supposed to be a rocket. It borders on supercar status, I believe. And, and it's, quite, it's quite affordable, actually, as supercars go. Uh, but you know, and, and so they had one at the airport, and I you know I'd go take a look at it, and I was just like, I really don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't actually want to sit in a car going anywhere. You know, it, it, it'll this will look nice, but yeah, you've you've gone to care. the point where you 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 need to be chauffeured. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and as long as it's comfortable in the back, it's uh, fine. I, I in fact, I'm the guy that when in fact I have to go with Patricia in like a couple minutes after we're done. You got to go shopping. Because uh, she can't really do anything, she can only command me as what to do. But normally, I'd say, "Will you please drive?" I don't even want. You know, I let my wife drive. I really don't care. Yeah, well, you know, that's what happens when you get to a certain point. I told everyone in the source code about Patricia's appendectomy, by the way. So, yeah, she's okay though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it, but you're irked about it. Well, I'm very irked about it because you know it, she was essentially misdiagnosed by. Uh, multiple uh, doctors, multiple hospitals, uh, multiple tests. And, you know, because I guess, you know, by not diagnosing uh, uh, appendicitis, that's a misdiagnosis. I would think. And, uh, I, you know, I'm sure that there's no recourse. I'm sure. Well, there would be in this country. Really? But that's, you know, I'm against that. I'm really, look, first yeah, of all, well, when, when, you know, so people make mistakes, people fuck up, you know, that's possible, but I'd like to know about it and I'd like someone to cop to it, you know. Uh, I'm really against that culture of, you know, something bad happened, someone died, let's sue for millions. It just, I, I don't, I don't agree with it. It doesn't really solve that's anything. That's the way we operate. Yeah, it doesn't solve anything, but it makes, uh, it, it keeps cash flow. Would you do it? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Really? I tend to be I tend to be slightly litigious. Really, I've the only things I've sued for have been uh, I countersued MTV when they sued me for uh, for MTV dot com, and uh, I sued uh, the Dutch tabloid when they stole my picture off of Flickr under the Creative Commons license, and uh, and both times well, that's I've, kind of a trivial. That's a kind of an interesting lawsuit. You're saying you're not a suit happy. Well, uh, but that I mean, was but that, but that was a principle. But that that was a, a real principle me- uh, issue there because I had my I had pictured private pictures on Flickr, and I had the permissions of the Creative Commons copyright license set, you know, to um, no derivatives uh, and non commercial use or whatever, and, and attribution, something like that. But certainly no commercial use, and they, you know, took those pictures. 
print, you know, did like a six-page spread, including part of the cover. Uh, and then they said, well, you know, we have every right. You put them up there on that site. And, uh, uh, and it even had a download button. <laughs> and that was their argument. I'm like, I got to take these guys to court. I just, <laughs> I just have to. And now that, that case is actually uh, is used as jurisprudence now for uh, the Creative Commons copyright. I'm quite proud of that one. Good. But I would have done the same thing. I just wouldn't have said what you said earlier. Now let's go back to that suit. What did you get out of it? Uh, well, what I sued him for, uh, uh, what did I sue him for? Um, I think, you know, it was like, you have to take every single copy off the shelves and, uh, pay me a 20,000 uh, now while we evaluate, you know, like outrageous claims, obviously, you know, as, as one does. And, um, what the, uh, so the, the judge, um, uh, cause you know, there's no, there's no uh, jury system in the Netherlands. It's professional judges. And so basically they call the shots, which is really fucked up, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and this woman, you know, clearly did not have an in-depth understanding of creative commons. She, who was the judge? Um, so this, what, what the, the, the outcome of the trial was, uh, I got no damages. However, um, you know, the, the magazine had operated, you know, illegally. They're not allowed to do that. And the next time they do it, they would have to pay a 2,000 euro fine for each picture they stole. Basically setting a price to, to break the law. Uh, but at least it, you know, they, they upheld the, the, the Creative Commons copyright. You didn't get any money? Zero. Oh, that stinks. In fact, I had to pay uh, my own court costs, obviously. Uh, yeah. and, and, well, yeah. I did the public a service, but, you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah, but I remember with MTV.com, when they uh, sued me for the domain name, uh, I contacted... Uh, in fact, it, that was around the same time that I met you the first time, John, when CNET, was, uh, CNET Television was just starting. Right. And uh, John Perry Barlow, and I spoke to him, and I said, you know, dude, here's what's going on. You know, can EFF help me? And he said no. And I was so disappointed. I've, I've always hated the EFF since then. <laughs> but absolutely no no desire to help me whatsoever. I said, but this is a fundamental issue. You know, they gave me permission to use this, and now they're suing me to take it away. You know, that's fundamental. This is a big deal. This domain name stuff. I think there's something to it. And they just fucking flatly turned me down. Well, they you know turned down a lot of weird cases. I never could figure it out. Why? I, I never could figure out what the selection process is with those guys. Exactly. So that cost me a lot of money, but uh, the outcome at the end was good. What was it? Uh, the lawsuit between MTV Networks and Mr. Curry has been settled out of court. Neither party has any further comment. So you got some cash from him then. Good. I guess, right? It's been settled out of court. <laughs> Neither party has any further comment. Is it in there that if you said something, you'd have to give him the money back? Uh, I could look at it, but uh, that that you know the whole no disparaging and this you know, we literally negotiated that. That's why I know the line. Yeah, we, that's what that's the way it always works. Yeah, we negotiated. That's part that, of the deal. That, they, word, yeah. that means they paid you too much money, and the part of the deal is you can't start bad mouthing them. The lawsuit between MTV Networks and Adam Curry has been settled out of court. Neither party has any further comment. No, it, it was it, you know, you, would be. the whole thing was the only reason if they had just fucking asked me if they'd asked me if they just said hey you know what man uh you know you left and you're starting your own company and everything and you know can we just have the domain name back and you know i would have said could i please keep adam at mtv.com that's the only thing i would have asked for 
And and of course, I tried to negotiate that into uh, uh, the settlement, but uh, (laughs) I wasn't able to get it. Uh, but they, if they just asked me that, that would be the only thing, man. It's, that was so. Nobody ever does that. They just, you know, they get they they make demands. It's weird. Yeah. You know, the lame. funny thing is nowadays, if it was today that this whole thing happened, you would wouldn't even have had a hearing. The icon people or somebody would have just taken the domain away from you. That's right. Yeah. Just shut shut me down right there. Exactly. Exactly. And that is kind of weird. Just, the system is now set up so copyright holders and, and people with brand names have act, have rights to anybody like you who happen to be, have one of their uh, brand names uh, as a domain name when you don't really own the brand. I'm still waiting for someone to eventually come up and say, that curry.com, we need to take that away from you. I fully expect someone to try that. Yeah, some curry guy from India. Well, no, you have curries. We're the Bombay Curry Company. We need your <laughs> domain name. <laughs> We're going to do uh, Indian accents now, John? <laughs> oh, when we have Don't electricity, it will work much better. Don't get me started on my Indian accent. <laughs> you know, I've always said that that's going to be the prime. That is probably the most popular accent in the world. And the people don't. They say, well, you, you, you're ridiculing the Indians with that accent. I'm saying, no, I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm giving their, their, I mean, they're the ones who have the probably... For all the English-speaking peoples, there's more people that speak like that. Yeah, and by the way, and I'm it's, honoring. And them. by the I'm way, it's, it. it's totally cool to uh, to do a, a a white guy or a uh, or like a typical American. And you know, I see yeah, or a southern guy talks like this. You know, yeah. you redneck guy. You know, oh, that's okay. You know, can we all? Do, you know, there's this thing. You know, Big Brother started over here, uh, started up again, and, and and but it's all messed up now. They have a different host, and it's a for some reason they're just not positioning it the way they used to and they've changed it so that you now you have celebrities who are playing big brother and I just can't get into it and so um uh but there was you know a lot of controversy in uh the previous big brother uh series uh particularly one of the celebrity ones because of racist remarks and but i mean like really you know in this this went all the way to parliament and and, and i mean it's crazy john it's it's like people just can't call each other a name anymore, you know, the, the way people do. Because this is the whole point of Big Brother is, you know, particularly with, you know, people just lose track of the fact that they're being watched the whole time. And they become themselves and they speak the way they speak when you're not hearing them speak in public. And shit slips out amongst each other, you know. And there was a Pakistani girl and I think, uh, or no, she was Indian. But you know, the, I don't remember. It was so stupid. I don't remember what it was. But it was the equivalent of saying, you know, you packy bitch or something like that. It is it, it, irrelevant. It was just like, you know, they were yelling at each other and they were saying nasty shit back and forth. And this whole racist thing is just, uh, it, you know, the political correctness that has gone away a bit is still really lurking pretty heavily uh, in no, that really regard with what you what, all, what, what you can call people. You know, it's like. Get, take a you know take a chill pill you can always uh, call them you know just the old generic things like asshole now um, yeah. let's get back to this you just brought up something that's interesting to me when did the you know these these reality shows which by the way uh, even mark burnett who's the guy who essentially invented the genre likes to call them unscripted dramas well, because I, I, not, I disagree i think endemol started really really was the well, first one well he's the one who popularized it with survivor that in the united states anyway yeah no the english probably did it first no, no, but the he's dutch. the one who took That's it to a, a new level mm. and his new level was a, this unscripted drama which means that you put a bunch of people in a room and then you actually you don't have writers but you you do but you have 
you have scenarios and you say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to throw a, wine, a glass of wine in the guy's face and then leave him and, and, you know, ready, shoot. You know, and then they do a bunch of ad libs. You know, essentially the people on the show are writing the show. And then they say, nah, let's, let's try something else. Let's throw a banana at him. And, then, you know, the whole thing is a, a, is a fake show. They have, you know, everything's pre pre-done uh and it, i mean there's no reality here it's just a bunch of amateur actors and uh and just and, and, ju- always- and just to be honest a lot of those shows it's still the editing that really really makes it work because if you if you literally did it the way you just said uh, it would be unwatchable so watch how yeah, these no, things you have are to, right you have to there's a lot of post-production yeah. so all the money goes into that yeah. now now let's go back to this the question that came to mind when you were discussing this other thing mm-hmm when did the reality shows, because originally the reality shows, I remember the first, I think it was The Bachelor, and they had, and it, after the whole show was over, you found out that the guy was an actor, and the woman that won was an actress, so they all won, you know, not, not, not successful, and, and at some point, they switched gears, and they decided, why, do we, why are we getting these amateurs, why don't we get real celebrities and put them in awkward situations, in other words, let's find some major has-beens, uh-huh. or wannabes that are slightly on the edge of, you know, success. You know, ice skating stars and people like that, and put them in a in a house, and we'll shoot it, and uh, and heck with just having you know members of the public audition for this sort of thing. Let's just go with the celebrity thing and see how people are fascinated by it. When did that change? I mean, when did that happen? You have you been following? Because I know you did one of these shows, and you're kind of like a celebrity. So you're absolutely right, um, and and you know it used to be game shows. And, and you'd have the same type, you know, like panel-based game shows. You'd have the same type of, uh, I call them uh, D-liberties. So, you know, a, a rung lower than a C-liberty. Um, and, you know, and they'd sit on panels and sometimes, it, you know, some, something could break out. Uh, but I think it really um, just carried over in, into this new format. See, the, 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 the big secret about show business, which I think by now, or certainly the television business, we've all kind of figured out everyone i mean i come from this industry so i know that really there's very few people making a lot of money outside of the corporations but you know people who present the news you know the anchor um with varying degrees obviously when you look at like the top network spot but that's only like three or four jobs that really pay a lot of money of all the people you see on television and most of them are really just fucking struggling to get by because you just get paid shit money. And it's like MTV. People work there non-union for absolute total fucking crap money. Almost the, you, you, on the, uh, below the, the starvation line for New York City. Uh, just because you wanted to be a part of it. And, you, and everyone in those industries is taken advantage of in, in that way. Um, Unless you know you've you've been able to get a, get basically on that rung, right? The the and and by the way, being a VJ is pretty much uh, the lowest rung of the showbiz ladder. You're just holding on by your fingernails um, before you you know actually get anywhere. And everyone is all is there. Everyone's looking to climb up, and this is why they're so manipulable. First of all, that's you know that's why it's so easy for news organizations to be the output to be controlled by just putting some, some sprinkling something at the top because everyone is a subordinate to someone else and they just will do anything including sucking someone's dick to get one level higher because it is literally power control and money and that's what everyone is doing so you have show business and you're right uh, because there's so much access so many uh, channels for people to appear on people are becoming famous just for being on 
the television, even if they don't actually do anything. Or they did one outrageous thing, like they did a sex tape and they're, and they're an heiress. You know, and you can build an entire career and brand out of that. So you, it's, it's an industry that, that you can play. And it's, it's, it's the entry. So you rarely will ever see a top, top-notch celebrity. But in your mind, uh, you may think that uh, the people who are appearing on some of these shows are, wow, you know, the, why would that guy be doing that? You know, does he need the money? Well, the answer is yes. They need the fucking money. They need <laughs> the exposure because that's how the entire system works. Now, but you know, to say that it really started with one thing, um, you know, I, I did my own media hacking after I saw what happened with the Osbournes, you know, and that's been going on for a while. That was uh, 2003, I think, something like that, 2002, actually, when they did that. And the guy who, who produced the Osbournes reality show was an associate producer on the Headbangers Ball, Greg Johnson. I knew the guy really well. And, you know, and it was like, what a brilliant idea, because he basically knew Ozzy, you know, and Ozzy was all fucked up and... Uh, and it was it was a great you know he he was struggling, need something needed to happen, and you know basically they, they MTV just took advantage of uh, a, a strung out you know drunk rock star in his fifties and their family because it's cheap ass programming. I mean this the, the, it really is the way. It, there's no brilliance to it. The, right. It's just it no brilliance. Itself. What is the longest running show in American history at this moment? Do you know what that is? What? America's Funniest Home Videos. It's the oh, same yeah. fucking thing. We love watching that. It's the same right. thing. They don't, pay, they don't even pay for those videos. It's weird. No, no. They all, yeah, and, and they become their property even. You know, it's like it's not even yours anymore. So when, when, I, when they asked me to do a reality show about my family, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. This will be great because I, you know, I did the whole thing on Final Cut Pro and Firewire Drives. I had one cameraman. I did second camera, and I had a girl who was, you know, edit, really putting the show together. She did all the post, you know, and she was so good that you know I, I could basically just give all the material to her, and, and she'd put it together, and then I'd take a look at it, and I know it would work. And I even did the the subtitle translations myself, and it was it was a fantastic project. Um, and although everything you saw happened and it wasn't acted, you know, we really made it into a, a fun show to watch, you know, just really well post-produced and, you know, great soundtrack, you know, so we turned it into, it, it, you know, something really, a, a cool fucking edit, you know, but it really happened. It's just the show was really all the other bits that pulled it together was just a product. So, so uh, could you stop the tape for one second? Uh, the tape. Yes. All One right. Those. Okay. No problem. Quick phone call. So anyway, so I got my. Thank you for for making, well, making Maggie wait on the phone while I did my rant there. You still there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Hello. 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 Do you hear me? Yeah. When you call. Um, there you go. It went into hi- or hibernation or something. Yeah, it went into hibernation. <laughs> Screen blanks out. To, you, know, you know, the fun. The, by the way, this is something worth discussing. It's always fascinated me. So we have these Windows machines, and you're doing something like a download, or you're doing something like the Skype that we're doing, and then the machine... Goes to sleep. Goes to sleep because you're not touching the keyboard. Yeah. Now, doesn't it know that there's activity in the ports going in and out, and maybe, you know, it shouldn't be just shutting itself off? I'm I'm sure that that there's an API in... uh in in windows that the application probably has to speak to to say you know ping i'm still alive don't shut down and it's probably just developers who just yeah, don't no, put that in 
No, you're probably right, but nobody puts it in. Well, so you know the headphones I use for this show and all my other shows? No. Which are just barely falling apart. They're uh, some Pan Am headphones from an airplane (laughs) in the 60s made by TQ Trade LTD. Take a picture, man. You got to blog a picture of them. (laughs) They sound great. (laughs) My daughter gives me nothing but grief about it. She says, why are you using those cheap airplane headphones? You know, but I said, because they're from Pan Am. You know, and they have like a metal thing. They're not like the plastic junk ones that we have today. Uh, <laughs> I don't have junk ones, dude. Oh, you mean on the airplane headphones? Yeah, the free ones. The free ones that you, you would, you know. No, nah, Virgin Atlantic has great headphones. Well, I've seen it been on a couple of planes that have great headphones, but it's pretty rare. And noise canceling uh, but- everything. Really? On Virgin? Really? Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. They got elect- electronically noise canceling. You can turn the noise canceling on or off. Now, I use uh, the Sony uh, MDR V600s. I've used them for a long time. Yeah, those are okay. I, I use a, um, a couple of costs usually. And, and uh, you know, we used to, back in, the, back in the days of the radio, everybody, come on, climb up on my knee, Johnny, I'll tell you a story. Uh, we used uh, Clark helicopter headsets. Oh. Dick Clark helicopter headsets, and, and so you take off the, the mouthpiece, but you basically uh, uh, put a new... Some guys didn't put, in, put new elements in, you know, the different speakers. You could just use the ones that, were, uh, that it came with because they really closed around your ear so you wouldn't get any feedback through the mic when you were listening to your... Because, uh, you know, you have the mixed signal on your head, right? You hear yourself. Right, you could modulate. It was so for like, modu- people out like there. That. It was for modulating your voice. <laughs> yeah, like that. And then, and then uh, I have another pair. This is a... What are these? Another uh, AKGs. Um, and when you take the AKGs off, they cut off, which is pretty cool. So you don't have to turn them down if you, if you have a pair laying around. They could, well, they could produce feedback. So the minute you take them yeah. off your head, then they just cut off, which is nice. Well, the most interesting ones I have is I have a pair of Koss uh, uh, Electrostats. Yeah, nice. That came out in the 70s or 80s, and it's like two ribbon. electrostatic elements inside, extremely high resolution. They're yeah. very nice. That's ribbon, right? Isn't no, like- electrostatic is not ribbon. Ribbon's, I think, a different technology. Electrostats are these, these, these plates that sit on top of each other and somehow produce sound. I'm not oh, sure. I thought that was what, because I, I, uh, I know a guy who had uh, two of those huge ribbon speakers. They're really flat. And they have, you know, strips of ribbon down the front of like a yeah, alloy not, ribbon. We need a, a speaker expert to send us a note explaining the difference between rib- ribbon and electrostatic. Yeah. And don't think, by the way, that a million people have already sent us uh, the link. Right. Probably one guy will do it thinking <laughs> that somebody right. else did. It, it, that's so you have happened. more stuff on by and large. Oh, uh, I don't uh, I just forwarded you the email. I didn't take a look at it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm already not caring anymore. sorry (laughs) i like themes i like themes but that's why i sent you the email you got to go you you should be prepared you come to the show without any notes yeah pretty much Uh, i got i got a question for you we got to wrap this up it's an hour people get fucking bored um I promised comic strip blogger, by the way. Did you hear the Yo Agenda show? Yeah, it's two guys. I mean, two guys just talking to each other. You can barely understand them. They're both from, you know, Foreign East countries. to war. And and no, Luke's Dutch and he lives in Finland. And uh, comic strip blogger is Polish and lives in Germany. Well, whatever. They both sound like they live someplace, uh, you know, in a garbage dump. Whatever the oh, case. Dude. They, hey. <laughs> 
they have like uh, their contribution is well you know these two guys are talking and you know they don't have much to say and i think the show needs to get needs work yeah that's that's what i'm like you know they think that we are just aren't really that good (laughs) (laughs) yeah they think we suck and they think that i'm just kissing your ass because you're the boss of this company pod show that's right that's right (coughs) yeah when i'm kissing ass it's pretty obvious and this ain't it. So I've always wondered about your name, Dvorak. Yeah, Dvorak. With yeah, Dvorak. The origin, and and obviously, is there any uh, relevance to the Dvorak keyboard? No. Uh, well, none that I know of. I one time I said uh, that there was, you know, that Dvorak was uh, August Dvorak. As a matter of fact, University of Washington did the keyboard in the mid '30s. Um, you know, based on theory, and. Um, I don't think there's any relationship there. Most of the Dvoraks came from a bunch of Czechs that moved to the country, including uh, uh, the famous Dvorak, the uh, composer, uh, who lived in the U.S. for a while. And I guess he sired a lot of people. And uh, uh, You're part of his, his demon seed? You're an offspring? Well, I have, a, I have a one octave plus one key <laughs> range on my hand, if that means anything. <laughs> Uh, you no. know, I can hit like that. I mean, I got a big, you know, so maybe oh, you can really else. stretch. Right. OK. Yeah, I can get the I can do over the uh, over an octave and uh, on a piano. And um, well, you know what they so say about know. guys with I like hands. to say that. Yeah, I like to say, yeah, there's some relationship because it's good for the reputation. But I have no documentation to prove it. Mm. Have you ever tried a Dvorak keyboard? Yeah, they stink. <laughs> That's the genius. No, I have. Right I've there. looked at them. You know, I mean, it's an interesting idea, but if you're going to d- dedicate yourself to a Dvorak keyboard, you can't do what I do, which is roam around and, yeah. you know, can I use your machine, you know, and then you type, you know, I'm a, like a slow typer anyway because I kind of plot along. And, and especially when I get on a European keyboard, it's like you got to just almost stop because there's just enough keys changed. Like, yeah, like the, but, Z, the Z and the Q. And yeah, and there's a yeah, and there's some a lot of all the punctuation marks are moved different around. places. Yeah, punctuation moves from the number like three or two key to somewhere above the the apostrophe. Yeah, it is pretty messed. Yeah, so up. you look like a complete Americans on a European keyboard. You look like you don't even know how to type. <laughs> <laughs> you go, what the? Oh yeah, oh, where the yeah. hell is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so and that's the way I feel when I'm on a Dvorak keyboard. I yeah. mean, it's just not usable. Yeah, but there's got to be a better way. There's got to be better inputs. Someone's going to yeah, figure it out. Yeah, we should be able to just say what we want, and it should type. Where's the automatic typewriter? They had one in a Star Trek show back in the Well, uh, it turns out, turns out that shit's pretty complicated. <laughs> Too complicated to do. Yeah, yeah. But the promises, is. promises, promises. We've been promised all these things with these computers, and they don't deliver much except spreadsheets. Which, le- which leads me to believe that, you know, there is someone's going to come up with something. There's going to be some new way to do it. You know, so, someone's going to figure it out. I, there's got to be an alternative path. This one is dead. There's just no way. Yeah, well, although you have to say, you know, like my son is a good example. I think my daughter's going to end up this way, too. But my son's one of those, I don't know what he's hitting, but it's like 160 words a minute or something. And you see these kids do that. Yeah, unbelievable. And it's like, yeah. just ripping, yeah. Yeah. ripping through the stuff. And then two or three backspaces. Of course, you, the backspace yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my then, god, that daughter's the same way. And then just another screaming <laughs> Yeah, I know it's it's unbelievable. And it's all on Facebook. Yeah, right. That's all so, it's about. Uh, 
That's pretty amusing. I've, I, I have gotten my daughter to take off her address and her phone number, and I've warned her about a couple things. I said, you know, you know, these kids, they, and they believe it, right? They totally, she says, you know, Facebook is safe, man, because you can set your settings. Look, I'll show you. I said, no, hon, I know. But how about fucking Facebook? What are those guys doing? And you know, Yeah, no, you don't want to put any real details on it. You lie. No, and, well... It, but, you know, she's like, you know, Facebook, they're so smart because, you know, she works part time, uh, you know, like after school job and on the weekends at uh, at a clothing store at a real hot, you know, one of those like uh, Jack Wills, which is real high end shit. And of course, they just have beautiful kids roaming around helping people buy stuff. You know, it's a great concept. And uh, she says, you know, our manager uh, put together a Facebook group for uh, so that, you know, we all know our times when we have to be there. And, you know, they, it really is. Uh, it's a. You know, it's kind of like the new AOL for them, or the you know the new uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's, no, it's all the same stuff. It's all it's it's all a new version of what's always existed. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, just like AOL, you know, and then that became the internet, and now this is this, and it'll become the internet again, and it'll open up and. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of kids that uh, you know that aren't uh, security conscious. Oh no, no idea, no, absolutely not. And they give each other their own their passwords all the time. That's a big cultural thing, you know. Yeah, and the, the weird part about the problem with passwords and why I don't like giving them out even when I'm a lone one is that I I have multiple uses. I have about six passwords. Yeah, and I use them over and over again in different venues. Like it, yeah. almost all my e- e-commerce stuff. If I'm like on uh, doing anything that has to do with the blog, I use the same password for all of it. You know, just 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 you saying that right now. Is already a security risk. Yeah, I shouldn't even mention. Although I think anyone who's really into like hacking people know that this goes on. In fact, I've always believed that I'm, and I, and I worry about this. Things that I would consider to be honeypots. In other words, I set up a site. And I say I want you, you know, join the site, and I have to offer them something. I'll give you a free something or other. And then you say, and here, set your name. What do you want to call yourself? Give yourself a password. Yeah. That password, I bet that person uses more than there. And if I was, like, running the site, I could, I could harvest those passwords and then, you know, kind of find the IP address of the person, right. figure out who they are, right. use their password, and crack half their accounts. Yeah. That's right. So I usually, I mean, my most secure of the secure, I do have an extremely secure password that I use occasionally, but I only, rarely use it, and it's only for stuff that I would really worry about. But generally speaking, you know. Secure in as as it's, uh, how? It's long, it's complicated, uh, you know, it's not a password that I, and I don't like using it because it's just, just, uh, it's tedious. Right. I, 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 you know, I really like the, I have two different bank, uh, online banks or banks that I can access online. And I really love the challenge string thing. You know, you, you get a little reader and you punch in your code and then it gives you a, a challenge string and then you fill that in. I like that. I wish all sites did it like that. You know, don't the have cha- to- you talking about a CAPTCHA? No, 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 no. It, it's a physical device and you have to insert your bank card into the device Oh, oh, oh. Uh, when huh. you, when, and then so in order to log into your bank account and basically, you know, you're in and you're transferring money, then so you have to enter your pin code um, and then it gives you uh, so, some you'll have to enter a code from the site and then it gives you a challenge string back and some, and, you know, it's based on some other whatever. But it, it, it essentially it pretty much assures that you're the one that's doing it. You know, and and it's mm. there's nothing to remember. It's just oh, the only thing I have to remember is my pin code. Cool. Yeah, I, I you know I wish everyone did it that way. 
Uh, that would be just the way to do it, I think. Well, there's, you know, there's, there, there's a lot to be desired with the security in these systems. Fuck yeah. So I guess that's it for this week. It should be. <laughs> <laughs> An hour and ten minutes, I wonder. <laughs> I, I'm sure you can pull ten minutes out of it. I'm not going to pull anything out of it. Are you crazy? You're going to pull it? Okay. No. If you want to be that way. No, what's the fast you know, forward You probably for? edit this down to a fantastic 10-minute show. <laughs> the numbers are still going up, though, John. Are they? What's our numbers? And I think we do like, like 10,000 an episode. Really? That's not bad. No, not at all. In a, in a, in a, re, in a real sense, that should be worth $10,000. Uh, no, it would be uh, 10 CPMs. A CPM being about uh, twenty-five bucks. Yeah, that's a t- that's a CPM for one ad. But in an hour and ten minutes show, you should be able to do uh, multiple CPM inserts. You know, in television, te- you should. In, in television, in television, inserts. for people out there who want to know what, how they budget these shows, in broadcast television, a one-hour show is worth a dollar a head in terms of what they should be able to recoup. Yeah. So a, a one-hour show that has 10 million viewers should have a budget of $10 million yeah. for everything. Yeah, that's right. That's about it. It's, it. It varies between 800000 and a million, but that's about right. Yeah, and that of course it depends on the time and the you know, all. Yeah. There's a lot of var- there are variables if it's prime time yeah, or not. Yeah, it's real prime time stuff. Yeah, but uh, that's good money. Yeah. Well, yeah, we could we could do a couple ads. Yeah, we'll do them when we need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. I I, bur- I burned up a lot today in the air. That's what my <laughs> first my first instructor said. You know, just one thing: you realize you're actually burning money in the air, don't you? <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, well, it's like when you go shooting with somebody. You know, you always hope somebody invites you because those bullets are yeah, expensive. It's like two bucks a pop or something like that. Yeah, some of these bullets are even more than that, yeah. especially those big weird ones. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, uh, let's wrap it up. All right. Okay, coming to you from uh, the United Kingdom in the uh, Curry Manor. I'm Adam Curry. And I'm John C. Dvorak in Northern California. And we'll talk to you next week on No Agenda. The best and the brightest, served up daily by the sharpest minds in content delivery, Podshow and Limelight.